The Table 40 Podcast with Matt and Leslie Holiday is presented by Sports Spectrum and the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. For more shows and stories on the intersection of sports and faith, check out sportsspectrum.com. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Table 40. Uh, Matt and Leslie here. Today, uh, special guest is Heath Evans. Heath played the NFL uh, for 10 years, about 10 years. Yes, sir. I got okay. it a decade. 10 years, born in West Palm, uh, went to King's Academy, which we're familiar with. We lived in Jupiter for a while. We actually knew some people at King's Academy, played at Auburn, played 10 years in the NFL, um, now is, is doing lots of other things, and, and we'll get into that. But thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Well, I, I appreciate you having me. I was, uh, as I told you off air, I was a little scared when, when a baseball guy reached out. I'm like, I know nothing about your sport. So I think you got the wrong guy. No, we're really excited. Yeah, I told as I told you, this isn't a baseball podcast. Although if you'd like to learn a little bit about baseball, I could maybe teach you. But um, I want to learn how to make baseball money. Like if everyone would have told me, like, don't yeah. invest all that time bashing heads for fullbacks, you know, you're going to make a small, small bank. I should have learned how to hit a baseball. Yeah, I mean, King's Academy had a pretty good baseball program, or they do now. I mean, you probably should have, uh, you know, ventured over to the baseball field. I was scared of the ball. No, <laughs> I'm not lying. I was scared of the ball. <laughs> yeah, you weren't you weren't scared of anything on the football field, but you were scared of that ball. I get it. That, that ball hurts a lot worse than, than humans do, I promise you. <laughs> so, Heath, did you play other sports, or was football your thing the whole time? No, I, I definitely – I had a dad that was like, hey, listen, you got to be a well-rounded athlete. Nobody likes a pigeonholed guy. And, and he was right, you know. Um, and I wasn't the most gifted athlete, so I needed to be on the basketball court. I needed to be running track. I also needed something to keep me out of trouble. And I think as, as young, energetic, masculine males, which I feel like our world is lacking this day and age, um, we need to be given vision. We need something to be doing. I, I, I heard uh, a pastor the other day – I'm not smart enough to come up with this on my own, but he – he said, idleness is tempting the devil to tempt you. And, and it's so true. You know, man, we're supposed to work. We're supposed to grind. We're supposed to work our hands to the bone. Um, and I think I'm so thankful for my dad teaching me that as a young boy, where now it kind of carries over into adulthood and, and everything else. So do you like basketball? Are you a fan of I, basketball now? No, I, it's funny. I, I, listen, the, the, the old school, like probably the guys that Matt respects, like the Jordans, um, the Charles Barkleys, the guys like so I'm like Matt I don't know baseball that well but like um I'm trying to think like in Nolan Ryan's day would Nolan Ryan in the offseason picked up the phone it wasn't a cell phone back then but picked up the phone and called the other best pitcher in the league and be like hey let's come together instead of battling it out in all these great wars let's come together and form a monopoly team and just pick up on all the weak teams I'm like these dudes aren't even real men I'm like what are we doing like Jordan hated the guys. Like I remember the Knicks Bulls. Like I, I, I'd sit there. My dad would let me stay up late and watch those things, and we'd lie to my mom because I was supposed to be in bed. And but like, that's like, I don't know. That's what sports is about. Like I can't imagine picking up the phone and being like, "Hey, someone from the Jets, come play with us in the, in the Patriots." Like let's do this. That doesn't make sense to me. I'm not a big fan of basketball. I did love the sport. Um, um, it, it just it kept me out of trouble. So you know, it's funny, uh, I watched like my boys, uh, you know, we have a 17 year old, a 14 year old, and then we have a daughter who's, who's, who's 11 and then a little guy who's eight, but the two older boys, we were watching the, the Jordan special 
and, and they were sewing the pistons. And I had to explain to them that that stuff was okay. Like nowadays right. you get suspended for like 10 games for a regular foul. Like nowadays you'd get like seven free shots, the ball over and over, like fouls then, you know, they, they did, you couldn't go into the lane with Lambeer and, and those guys without getting your head knocked off. And that was okay. And, and it was like, it was humiliating to lay on the court and pretend to be hurt, even if you were hurt. Now these guys, they're like, what is it, Golden Globes or Emmys? Or what, what are the people that get for their, their movies? You know what I mean? They're acting trophies. I'm like, you. the NBA has become like soccer. It's I can't even watch it. So, I don't know. They, All right. I, so I digress. Let's get to more valuable stuff. Let's get into your, into your childhood a little bit. So, you oh, went, went to King's Academy. How did – how did that impact your faith and kind of tell us your story about your, your, how you came to, to know Jesus and just give us a little bit of, let us know who, who Heath and kind of your, your early beginnings and, and what going to a school like King's Academy did for you. Yeah. Loaded, loaded question, especially the, the faith in Christ part. Um, I grew up in a, a very godly home. My, my parents were train wrecks and then Jesus saved them and they were never the same. Um, and so uh, they realized really young for me that I was going to be gifted in, in sports, but dad was like, we're never sacrificing your education for your athletics, blah, blah, blah. So I was stuck at Kings. I suffered through Kings. Most of the people at Kings wanted to kick me out of King because I wasn't smart enough to really be there. Uh, but by the grace of God, I made it through. The great thing about Kings was I had a few men that were really influential in helping mom and dad raise me. So in the home, I was being raised to be a biblically-based, godly man. They were teaching me the way of the Lord. Uh, my dad was teaching me, hey, boy, you, you lay down your life for your wife. You lay down your life for your family. You sacrifice. Your sleep doesn't matter. Your wife's sleep matters. Your food doesn't matter. Your wife's food, your kids' food. So I got to go to Kings, and then my head football coach, Jeff Lugwin, was coming alongside mom and dad and teaching me the same route of biblical manhood, biblical service, serving like Jesus, washing feet. So, you know, my senior year, I was one of the best players in the state of Florida, but I was carrying the water coolers for our team. I was helping load the bus before the game, not because I necessarily wanted to. It's just because I had been raised that way that real leaders serve. And, and if, if you think you're too good to serve and love someone else, you really ain't crap. And that was the mindset that I was kind of raised under it in my home. And then I just was was blessed to have those godly men at Kings kind of come alongside mom and dad at home while I was at school and kind of reinforce some of those true humble leadership principles that are really what matters in life. So um, Kings, I, I um, man, I struggled, struggled academically. Um, after my sophomore year, I had literally failed most of my high school classes, uh, C's, D's and F's. Um, I got tested for learning disabilities, which was a new thing back there in 96. Um, Kings was able to work with my family and I got to start taking essay tests and, and verbal tests. And so I, my junior and senior year, I had to go back and repeat my freshman and sophomore year just so I could be eligible to play college football. And so I had a, a my college or high school years were a struggle in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think that I, I don't know. I, I think that that's really encouraging, Heath, for a lot of people and a lot of student athletes, because it seems like sometimes there's this picture that's been painted that, man, this kid's nailing it. Like he's he's so great academically because he's on the field. Clearly, he's making good grades. And like, I just think it's really I think it's really important to share that story, because I know for my kids, I mean, they're not or my two oldest kids, they 
they have to work really hard to make really good grades in school and then play and then all of that stuff. So I, I appreciate you sharing that because it's so true and it can be a difficult road for a lot of student athletes. It's, it's difficult to manage both sides of things like sports and school. Well, and I'm, and I'm honestly like, this is where the Lord tells us to give thanks in all things for this is the will of God concerning you. People love to divide that verse of like, I'm not thankful for, but I'm going to give thanks in this season. It's not what that verse is talking about. The scripture lays out from Genesis to Revelation that God is matter-factly in control of everything. I was reading this morning in Psalms and Revelation, God is controller of kings and rulers. Joe Biden is our president because God put him there. This, this stuff that's going on in Afghanistan right now, this is all under the realm of God's control. And we can't understand that. God tells us that our minds aren't capable of understanding his greatness and his grandness. But I'm so thankful for those early childhood struggles because when marriages kicked me in the face or when business kicked me in the face or when the NFL network fired me unjustly, like God had prepared me to suffer well. And if, if we don't start suffering until we're in marriage, like then we're going to leave our marriages. If we don't suffer until we have kids, we're going to bail on our kids. And so I'm just so thankful that in God's sovereign control, a little bit in high school, and then more at Auburn in college, and then more in my first four years with the Seattle Seahawks under Mike Holmgren, God was constantly molding me and shaping me into who I really needed to be. And he is, ask my wife, he's still in the process. He's got a lot of work to do with me. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so let's talk about your relationship with Jesus. Like, when did Jesus capture your heart and where you're like, man, I am all in and I can't wait to tell people about the Lord? Well, um, to the world, it would have looked young. Mm-hmm. To the world, it would have looked like I was probably eight years old. And I sat in a baptismal at First Baptist Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. I boldly made my profession of faith. And, and probably because of the gifts that God has given me, having nothing to do with me, I probably said it more clear and more bold than, than even some adults. And I had a understanding of, of what I thought I was doing. The truth is, throughout high school, I was so disciplined and so meticulous that it looked like I loved God. It looked like I was a kid that was after the heart of God. In college, I had um, some um, immoral sexual mistakes my, my freshman year. Not mistakes. They were just sin. They were idolatry. They were what I wanted. But then I cleaned up my life very quickly. And I lived a life president of FCA, leading our team in Bible studies and prayer meetings. It really, really looked like I was a man of God. Got married when I was 22, had 10 years in the NFL. Every teammate that I had would have told you I looked like a man of God. Again, leading Bible studies, proclaiming the name of Jesus, um, trying to witness and share my faith. Um, in 2011, um, let me back up briefly. 2009, in the middle of our Super Bowl year with the Saints, um, I blew my knee out. Uh, it was week seven. I was in the middle of my, my best NFL year ever. Um, I was getting ready to be voted to the midseason all-pro team. Um, things just could not have been going better. Um, and again, by, by God's sovereignty, um, I blew my knee out. And I had had a very, very hard marriage for nine years at that point. Um, my wife and the world would have told you 
I was a great husband. Um, they would have told you that I sacrificed for my family like my dad had taught me. My teammates would tell you that Heath puts his wife and his family ahead of the game. My heart was far from God. I was just a very disciplined man. I was, had a lot of head knowledge because I was raised well. Um, I had a lot of Bible knowledge because I had read it a lot because that's what disciplined godly men do. Um, but after I retire um, through that knee injury, I play another year. I had just become very bitter with my wife, um, very bitter with God and didn't really know it. And for five years, uh, or excuse me, for five months in 2011, um, I, I cheated on my ex-wife. And in God's grace, and, and probably more so just because of what godly men are supposed to do, um, I came clean to her, confessed it all. Um, I lost that marriage uh, because of my infidelity um, and, and my sin. And for about three, four more years, it would have looked like Heath, Heath made a big mistake like David and like so many other men in the Bible, Heath, Heath, Heath sinned and fell short, but, but he got back on track. You know, he, he's a godly man. And in truth is, in 2015 to 2018, um, I walked in a very sexually immoral, idolatrous lifestyle. It was all about Heath. And again, from a world's view, some people would have said, hey, that's a good man. He doesn't curse. And he sticks up for women. And he's different than all the other guys in NFL Network. And then he is this. Um, but in 2018, in, in June, <laughs> Philippians 2, verses 1 through 10, present this clear gospel. But God, being rich in mercy, this but God is God intervening in the life of his kids. And... Uh, you know, I tear up because I never knew the God of the Bible before June 2018. He, he, he pulled me out of my pit that my human will and my self-discipline and my good, manly, masculine intentions couldn't get me out of. And he rescued my soul. And he has allowed me to come to know him in the way that First John talks about. The book of First John in five chapters. 40 different times uses the word know, that we can know, 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 know. We can know God. We can have assurance that we are known by God. We can know that we are children of God. And uh, so my, my testimony is in 2018, God saved me. Um, I'll say this and then I'll shut up and let you'll ask another question. The scriptures, God says that man is dead in his sin. It doesn't say that we're alive and squandering and that we can reach out for a life raft that, that God is throwing to people. And we have this, you know, willful disposition that some men will choose God and some men won't. Romans 3, 9 through 18 says, no one seeks for God. No one is righteous. No one does good. Ezekiel 36 16 through 38 tells us God's plan of salvation. It's the Old Testament prophecy of the new covenant to come. And it says, God will cleanse us with water, washing away all our sins, and then indwell us with the Spirit, not because of my worth, not because of my value, not because of any 
thing that I brought to the kingdom, not because he needed a former NFL player with a big mouth to declare his glory. No, no, no. God doesn't need anything. His concern for his holy name, he rescues his people. And so I have, by God's great grace, come to fall in great love with the God of the universe. And so um, I am thankful for his salvation every day. I'm thankful for a second chance of marriage. I'm thankful for God's grace that he's shown me with Ava and Naomi, my daughters, that I just have been able to, through the faithfulness of God, build a great relationship with, despite my past sin and just evil, wicked heart. Um, God's been very, very gracious to this knucklehead. That's amazing. So I have a personal question and we can edit this out if you don't want to answer it, but I'll uh, answer oftentimes, in, oftentimes in pro sports, I mean, in baseball, it's 80% are divorced, <laughs> addicted and bankrupt by the time we are our age. And so infidelity is, is a, a, often a cause of that. And I'm just curious, what advice would you give? Uh, Cause there's one couple I'm thinking of in my mind that since, since infidelity and, and, and divorce, and he has become a Christian man and he's struggling with how to, I guess, how to redeem um, his kids, like how to talk to his kids about everything that went on. And so what kind of advice would you give someone like that, that, that is genuine and authentic in their relationship with Jesus, but the marriage is no longer and, and, but you still have a family to raise. And so how would you, how would you handle that? Cause I think that it is an issue that people in our community are, are walking through and they do need hope and encouragement and like everything that you said about Jesus is true. And, um, but there's also consequence of decisions that were made prior to, you know, where you are now. And so what would you say? And I, um, hopefully the word of God, and I know people won't be able to see this, but I'm literally holding up my, my Bible right now on this zoom um, Lord, give me wisdom on how to answer this. <laughs> um, I would say this, God tells us to boast in our weakness. Um, you look at the apostle Paul early in his ministry, he says, I'm an apostle. And then years later, I'm the least of the apostles. And then years later, oh, what a wicked, wretched man I am. I'm, I'm unworthy. The, the closer Paul got to God, the more revelation that God gave Paul to perfectly and inherently write to us. It's the voice of God talking to us. This isn't Paul writing. Yes, it's Paul writing. This is God's word to his people. Paul, the more he walked in the light, the more darkness he saw himself, but it didn't have a condemning effect because he saw God accurately. He knew this loving God, there was no sin that could separate him from God. So as he walked in the light, God in his great grace exposed more of Paul to himself so that Paul would see God more awesomely. He would see how great God's grace is. He would see how good and loving and kind and faithful to the faithless he is. Paul boasted in his weaknesses. And so we see David in Psalm 51 in his prayer of repentance and confession. He knew that he was a wicked, wretched man, but he knew who God was. And so with Ava and Naomi, I have declared the word of the Lord. I've also told them who scripture tells them they are. See, we, we wrestle with great questions in this life because we are, 
our thoughts aren't capable of keeping up with how great God is. And so people say, oh, if he's such a good God, why would, why would God let, let, let bad things happen to good people? Well, Jesus himself said to the Pharisee, why, why would you call me good? No one is good but God. Jesus didn't whisper. Jesus didn't mince words. When you take all the Old Testament, you take all the New Testament, you take the life of Jesus, Jesus was here to make it very, very clear that he wasn't here to save the righteous. He was here to save the unworthy, filthy sinner. And so with Ava and Naomi, I've instructed them that, sweetie, my sin to the world looks much more horrid than your pride or your anger at your sister, or maybe your even unforgiveness towards me or, or your mom. But in the eyes of God, one sin for one person would have cost Jesus the same horrible death. So even if God hadn't died for the whole bride of Christ, the whole church, if, if, if he had just died for me, and all I'd ever done was told one little white lie to get out of a speeding ticket, God is so holy and so perfect and so just, like his justice has to be satisfied. He is the perfect, just judge. Everything has to have a payment, a penalty, a punishment. Jesus was that. And so I don't let our girls categorize sin. I boast in my weakness. I boast in how great the love of God is. I, I, I boast in the fact that my God says he holds the world in his hand. Me and my built ready guys are reading this week that, yeah, Satan, Satan kind of, he's the ruler of this world. But who holds this world? My God. My God is so grand and so big. The God of the Bible, this world, is it's in the palm of his hand. He is in full control over it. And so I constantly, not my thoughts about God, but what does this word say about all of us? Because I find great ease in sharing my past shame and guilt because I know who my God is. And so even if you two, which I know you're not, were going to look down on me because of my past sin, my God doesn't. My God doesn't even remember it. But my God would remember my lie if it was unconfessed, and he would hold it against me. Everyone loves John 3.16. Nobody wants to read John 3.36. Everyone loves the word, oh, I believe in John 3.16. But we see in John 3.36 that if we believe, we will obey. And if we don't obey God according to his whole word, Jesus says that we're a liar and the truth is not in us. And that the wrath of God is still against us. People like, Heath, that's such a mean, awful message. No one's ever going to come to Jesus. God tells us very clearly, I have nothing to do with anyone coming to Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a mystery. God rescues his kids. He saves our souls. They're uncomfortable things to talk about because as man, we want to be in control. I want to pray a prayer of salvation. I want to accept God into my heart. Please, anybody Find those things in scripture. You can't. If you're listening to the sound of my voice and, and, and you've been told that some prayer of salvation has saved your soul, find that prayer in salvation. People are going to take you to Romans, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. They're going to take you to 2 Peter, verses out of context. They're going to take you to Revelation, and they're going to tell you God's speaking about a church, not a person, about knocking on the door. It's out of context. All throughout salvation, go to Philippians 2, 1 through 10. That is the salvation of our glorious God. 
God does a work in a man's heart. Paul says, it's not by works so that no man can boast. If it's about me praying a prayer, I have fingerprints on my salvation. Because Matt, if I pray a prayer and you don't, I can look in you in condemnation and judgment. I said it. I turned to God. You turn to God. The Bible tells us no one seeks for God. No one does good. No one is righteous. And so hard message, but Ava and Naomi, I make them every night. I'm going to bring them this word. I'm not going to bring them my opinions. I'm, gonna, I'm literally going to let just read the word of God and let God do what God does. So men, if, 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 if you are, and, and this is going to be a hard message, and I'll shut up and let you ask another question. James talks about um, forgiveness and healing. And the only one that can forgive sin is God, period, the end. But we are healed and made whole through confession. Yes, confession to God. God, I need forgiveness. I have been an adulterer. I have been sexually immoral. I am an idolater. I put my sexual wants and desires and evil desires ahead of my ex-wife, ahead of my daughters, ahead of your great name. God, but then I need to go to my brother, Matt, and be like, hey, Matt, because what James tells us and what God tells us through the, the pen of James is that we are healed in our confession to one another so that we can pray for each other. Why does God demand us to confess our sin to our wives, to our brothers, to our boys? Because that takes humility. It takes me saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble myself in the sight of God and my friends. And so I'm going to call Matt today and be like, you know what? Hey, I have failed here, here, and here, and I need you to help keep me accountable. But I just wanted to be faithful to the word of God, and I just want to be healed. I want my heart to be whole so I can walk with God, so I can honor my wife and honor my kids. This word is tough. Jesus presented this word perfectly. And what did he say? He said a lot of people considered his message too hard, and they walked away never to return. This message is clear but tough to chew on at times. And so I constantly, for any man that has in the – I don't care because here's, man, if it's pornography or physical adultery, in the eyes of God, it's the same. He's looking at our heart. Matter of fact, if I'm just even constantly thinking about other women, but I'm not even really acting on it, God judges our hearts. And it's such a message. Like, Keith, you mean to tell me if I'm just lustfully thinking about all these women in the gym, but I'm not actually even looking at pornography or I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even actually cheating on my wife that, that, I'm, that God says I'm an, I'm an adulterer? Yeah, that's what Jesus said. Because when Jesus saves us, Ezekiel 36 tells us what he does. He, he rips out this heart of stone and he replaces it with a heart of flesh that is just bent towards the will of God. It's just... It just has a natural inclination to want to obey and love God. And when we love God, we're going to love other people by loving them with this word. And that loving other people starts in my home by bringing Ava and Naomi and Chrissy, my new beautiful, awesome bride. I bring them this word because this is how we, we cleanse and wash our family with the word of God. I said a lot. I'm sorry. I'll pause. I'll shut up now. No, I'm going to get a drink of water because now I'm thirsty. <laughs> oh, and they can't see this, but you have the water bottle that's so encouraging. You have the oh, encouraging yeah. water bottle. <laughs> hey, so, I'm up there. Hey, Matt, tell, tell them how masculine I am with my pink water bottle. <laughs> it's definitely pink. You can always just like breast cancer awareness if you have pink, you know, you just be. But it's so encouraging. It's like, that's the one I have too. 
And yeah. it's like, it's like, keep going, keep going. <laughs> like $10 on Amazon. You can't yeah. be, you don't need no Oh, yeah. Okay. So tell us about this built ready. And, and for men that are listening to this or athletes, you know, mm-hmm. we have some young athletes, some, some, tell us about built ready and, and how people can get involved or, you know, men can get fed yeah. and, and get, have a community. Well, um, you've been around a bunch of stud athletes and how many times have you and I heard, man, I was born ready for this. Right. And like, we can think back on how many coaches kicked our butt in the line, how many people fixed that throwing motion, or for me kind of fixed that blocking angle or how to catch a ball. Like no one's born ready for anything of greatness. Like we all have talents. We all have gifts. We all have some natural inclination, but no one has ever done anything great by themselves. And so the built ready method is, is really about mastering our manhood by building our lives according to the word of God. And so um, it's all free. Um, I, I, I hate to say it. We live in such a day and age that so many people try to pimp this word to make a, a dollar. Um, we want nothing from nobody at Built Ready. We want to give away everything we are because God gave us everything in his son. He didn't charge us for it. It was free. And so we have daily workouts. We have some kind of beginner workouts for guys that maybe haven't worked out in three years. We kind of have their get off the couch program. There's a four day a week program. There's a six day a week program just to kind of get you active again. And then there's some brutal bodybuilding workouts in there that'll kick your butt. If you're, you know, we have 10 declarations. Our first one is we are workout warriors. We believe God tells us to demand our body to work, to to force our bodies to submit to what God's word says, that we're supposed to be hard workers, hard-nosed men. Um, so um, there's a lot of there for diet, nutrition, uh, workouts, and we're adding more all the time. There's a daily Bible reading plan that men all over the country that we, we fight to do together. Um, there is an app um, that's free. People, can, um, people are in there all the time confessing their sins, chatting with each other, sharing verses, sharing what they got out of their daily readings. Um, it's, it's been beautiful to watch guys from, you know, Washington state connect with the guy from Oklahoma, you know, and then just gel in friendship. Us men, we, we suck at relationships. You know, we just, we suck at transparency. We, we suck at being vulnerable. We suck at sharing our fears and our insecurities. And when we can just beg God to give us power to halfway do this word right, the friendships and relationships that he builds is just a beautiful thing. And so, and then every Thursday night, we have a Zoom Bible study. Um, and sometimes I bring on pastors. Um, I was reaching out to, you know, Sean Alexander and Ben Watson yesterday, try to bring on guests to other godly men that just love Jesus um, to, um, to share the word. Other times I bring on people in the bodybuilding community that um, aren't Christian men, but just have a just a welching on health and nutrition and fitness. And so just constantly trying to encourage men, trying to to, to bring them into the fold to, to share the word of God. And so again, everything's free. I know there's a lot of people selling, you know, Hey, sign up for this free thing. And then we're going to upsell you as soon as you get there. Listen, we're not touching the word of God. We're going to let the word of God do what it does. We're not selling the word of God. We're not doing anything. Even the, the merchandise that I'm wearing, I don't ever talk about it. It's for sale on the website, but we don't push it. Like it's just, we're just seeing what God's going to do, but it's a place for men to get transparent and to, to get open and honest. Um, do we have time for me to go through the 10 declarations real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, whatever, yeah. 
Listen, um, we live in this day and age where people have perverted the word of God. They take one verse in Proverbs about the power of life and death is in our tongue. No, no, no. It's saying that that one verse is saying that we confess our sins. We confess who God is. We confess the righteousness of God. We confess the glory. Those are the things that we confess because God is all those things. God spoke the word into creation. God spoke this Bible into its form. The only one that manifests anything is God. We can talk. I could have said I wanted to be a Matt Holiday my whole life and worked my butt off. I was never going to be a skilled or the baseball player that you were. You probably could have spoken everything into existence. I want to be the best fullback in the NFL and I'm going to do this. You were never going to be me. That, that whole manifestation idea, it's the biggest load of crap and it's infiltrated our church and I hate it. It's ungodly. It's wicked. It's, it's awful. But what God does tell us to do is to confess who God says his men are. So we have 10 declarations that the word of God backs up that we declare over ourselves because God says when he saves us, this is the men that we become. And he sanctifies us in this work. So number one is we are workout warriors. It's just talking about being gritty men, that we have cyclists, we have people that do all kinds of different workouts, but they're men that discipline their bodies um, the way God tells us to discipline our bodies. Number two is we are healthy. The scripture is very clear about taking care of our mind, renewing our mind, how does our mind get affected? By the food we eat, by the movies we digest, the music we listen to. We are healthy men. We are, we are um, trying to be very sober-minded in what we are ingesting and digesting, both physically, emotionally, spiritually. Number three is we are truth seekers. Everything is filtered through the, the word of God. We want to seek truth in our athletic regiments, in our diets, in the word of God, in our faith. We want to go to a church on Sunday that's preaching the true word of God, not just skipping around from verse to verse and putting a whole bunch of crap together so man can get glory. No, we are seeking the truth of God's word. Number four is we are transparent. I told you in James, God commands us to confess our sins one to another so that we can pray for one another and then we'll be healed. We have to be transparent. I have massive fears, insecurities, weaknesses. If I'm not verbalizing those, I'm dying in those. Number five is we are accountable. If I can be transparent, then I have an opportunity. Matt, if, if I can come to you and be like, man, I'm, mad, I'm really struggling here in my marriage, then guess what? You can keep me accountable in that area of weakness. You know, if you had something, you know, in your swing motion that was a little off, that your coach was constantly on you about, hey, fix that foot, fix that hip, fix, that was accountability. We all need that. We all have these levels, massive levels of dysfunction that we can't see until someone's speaking into our lives. Matt, I'm sure you know, our wives see all our dysfunction very clearly and they tell us about it. That's why God gave them our, they, to us because we have massive dysfunction. Um, I always say dysfunctional doesn't look dysfunctional to the dysfunctional. We need someone pointing that out, hopefully with grace and <laughs> kindness and mercy, but we have to be accountable. Number six is we are honoring. The, the Bible, flattery is, it's, it's like witchcraft. It's, it's, it's awful. It's evil. It takes Flattery doesn't cost me anything. It's really manipulation. But we are honoring means I'm going to spend time with you, Matt. I'm going to ask God, hey, give me ways to encourage Matt. Give me ways to build up his spirit. Give me ways to see maybe where he's struggling so I can come alongside him, pat him on the butt, and help him get that next step with God. It costs me something. You know, that's honoring. So we want to be honoring men. Number eight is we are, we're, excuse me, we are planners. We plan out everything from our date nights to our workouts, to our sleep habits. We, we are, we are visionaries in the sense of, Hey God, where's your word? Tell us to go. Now we are setting a clear vision 
of, of a plan of where we're going with our kids, with our wives, with our quiet time, everything. It costs me. It's hard to do that. But we budget, right? We have vacation plans. We have all these things that we want. We can really see a man's heart real quick. What do you plan for? Do you, do you plan out your Bible study time? Do you plan out your relationship with your wife? Do you plan out how you're going to nurture your daughter's heart? Fathers, if you're listening to me, your boys need you. Matter of factly, your boys need you. I just know because I know what my dad did to me. But your girls, they need to see a godly, humble, ferocious priest of their home. And, and, and that is a God doing because we are growing up in such a sissified, limp-wristed, weak male world where women are being forced to take leadership positions that, that ultimately God, God didn't plan it out that way. And so we have women fighting for power and they have no power or peace. And so when we get this rightful union in our homes together and the men are coming up under their wives and up under their kids and building them up and laying down their lives for their family, man, the women and the kids, they get really strong and really powerful. But we have to plan those things out. It doesn't just happen. Um, number nine is we are disciplined. Matt, I, I, any elite level athlete, we've been very disciplined in a lot of ways. But the areas we choose to discipline ourselves most of the time are the ways that come easy. Godly men are going to crucify the flesh every single day in the areas of our discipline. And it has to be planned out. Otherwise, it just doesn't happen. And the number 10 is we are rested. God commands that we get rest. Yes, we want to kind of be the Chick-fil-A. We want to take a day and shut it down. Sure. And that's part of it. I have my men tracking their sleep, tracking their water. We want to accumulate X amount of hours of sleep every night. We want to average X amount of hours of sleep a week because we're, we're planners and we want to be healthy men. We want to take care of and steward the bodies God has given us. But, but really, we rest in Christ. We rest in the finished work of God. This Built Ready keeps growing and growing. My buddy Casey, who was so enamored with you this morning, Matt, said, oh, you're going on Mass Podcast? And I'm like, oh, he's a baseball player. Oh, he's nobody to me. But, <laughs> um, but, but he was like, how do you keep up with all the guys? I'm like, I don't try to. Because I, 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 God's got them. I, I don't have to take on pressure that, that God didn't give me. God says, no, no, I'm holding all these men and I've got them. You just keep loving and serving to the best of your ability. I've got them. So we get to, I, I try to lead guys to the word of God so they can see God so huge and so grand and so big and see ourselves so puny that we're like, we, we've got nothing to offer God. Like he didn't need us. He's God. He's perfect. He is perfectly self-sufficient. He needs nothing and no one, you know, but in that knowing of who God is, I get to rest. Like, I don't have all the answers for my marriage, but I know if I stay buried in this word and I'm intentional about being obedient to this word, he's going to take care of my love relationship with my wife. He's going to take care of the hearts of Ava and Naomi when I fall short, because it's not about my perfection. It's about my perfect God and his word is perfect. It's trustworthy and true. And so at Built Ready, we try to, <laughs> humanly and sinfully, we try to build our lives on those 10 declarations that God says, hey, if we're truly saved, if we truly believe, as John 3.16 says, if we truly believe we will obey, we will obey these commands of God and we will fight to instill these disciplines in our lives. That's awesome. That is awesome. I love that. Our boys need to get that app. <laughs> <laughs> so they need to get that app. Hey, I've but got 17 and 14 year old daughters. So maybe we have some godly young men and some godly young girls. <laughs> We some arranged marriages. It worked in the Bible times. I don't know. 
No. <laughs> okay, I have a question. This is one of the questions we've been asking lately. And so if you were to witness any miracle in the Bible, what would it be and why? Oh, sheesh. That's a good one, isn't it? I didn't come up with it. A friend <laughs> of ours did. Question. And I was like, oh, man. Yeah, we're going to ask that on the podcast for sure. I think Samson. Ooh, interesting. You know, we talk about the love of God all the time. And um, <laughs> the love of God and the grace and mercy of God allowed his judge, Samson, to commit suicide in fulfilling his very purpose that God sent him to the earth to perform. Samson was a very worldly, ungodly man. And his whole life, basically, God was just extending him grace and mercy, grace and mercy. If you know the story of Samson, he was always messing with evil. He was always disobeying God. He was always being the man's man. I got this. I'm, I'm cool. I'm good. I'm good. He kept playing with that line of sin. Don't cut your hair. And we know the story, or a lot of us know the story. He kept playing with Delilah. He'd tell her a little bit of this or a little bit of that. He, he played God in his life. He was a judge sent to judge the Philistines who were ruthless to God's people. And in his own sin and in God's own sovereignty, he had his eyes plucked out because of his sin, lost all his strength, lost everything. And yet God in his great grace shifts Samson's heart after he had suffered immensely. And he's bound up amongst all these Philistines. They're mocking him and tormenting him. And what does he do? He repents. God, I'm sorry. One more chance, God. And what does our great God do? Did Samson deserve it? No, he was an idiot. He was so dumb. But I find myself in Samson. I find myself in King David. I find myself in Pharaoh with that hard heart that just refused to let God's people go. I find myself in Paul murdering other Christians because I constantly get mad at other brothers in Christ because they don't agree with me on politics or because they don't agree with me on whatever it is. But God was so good to Samson. He gives him an opportunity to repent. And then he gives him an opportunity to fulfill his life's purpose was to judge those Philistines. So Samson gets to go be in the glory of God, killing himself by pushing those pillars apart and all those Philistines falling to their death. But it's such a picture of, we just don't understand God. Like if I was going to tell you like, Hey, if you're a loving dad, would, would you let your son right now stand under a building in the middle of Afghanistan? And there's 3000 ISIS troops and he's going to push down some poles all 3000 of the, of the ISIS people, evil people are going to die, but your son's going to die too. Matt, you're going to let your son die? Not a chance, right? So in our human minds, the love of God, it just doesn't add up because you know what? We're not loving. We know nothing of love. I, I, every day, half the stuff I do to serve Chrissy is because I just want a peaceful home. <laughs> I want my home to be peaceful. Half the stuff I do for Ava and Naomi is because I want them to think I'm I want them to look at their dad with affection. I, I want them to, I want to, you know, Heath, is that all that wrong? No, 
But my first priority is I want them to see the glory of God in our home. I want them to see me laying down my life for Christy, not because I want peace in my home, but because God told me to. My, my motives are so jacked up compared to who God is. And so I'm constantly challenging our men, bring back our minds to how God displays his love. You know, I mean, Jesus's walk alone just obliterates our human version of love. You know, human love would never have chosen Judas on day one. No, human love wouldn't have touched that, that devil. So many different stories where we constantly have like, God, I know nothing of love. I know everything of lust. You are love. God, you are love. Not in our day and age where love is God and every, all love leads to God. No, that's demonic. It's not the yoga world. It's not the new age world. No, God is love. If you are not looking to the God of the Bible to define love, you are not in God. You are not for God. You are not of God. You are not a child of God. That's what his word says. The same thing with light. In 1 John, it makes it so clear who our God is. God is light, meaning everything that's pure, good, and true comes from him. What's our world done? Let your light shine. All the, all the people, all the new agey stuff, they, they mix these biblical language with heresy and, and blasphemy. No, no, God is light. When we walk in the light of his truth, then we walk in freedom. When we walk in anything else, we're walking in darkness. All right, I'm done. I'm sorry. Uh, that was Samson's my favorite miracle. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're going to have to edit the whole thing down. It's way too long. No, hard. no, no. Uh -uh. Okay, so this is the last question for you. Um, we do this at the end. The, the podcast is called Table 40. for Because, you know, when we played, when I played and, and we had people around, we used to like just fellowship, dinner, whatever. Um, so if you had a table with six or seven, ten of your favorite people, who are they and what are you eating? Oh and your, your, your wife and your daughters are already there. So okay. you don't have to pick them. So I get like six? Six, eight, whatever. Just yeah. they can be past, current, teammates, dead yeah. people, leaders. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. I'm not, listen, I'm not going to go to like the prototypical uh, Christian Jesus. No, no, that's cool. That's obvious. I, I, I would, I can't wait to be this guy, but six people. Um, whew. All right. Um, I'm going to go athletic realm first. Um, Michael Jordan. There's a, there's a grit to him that I'm not sure. I like even like Tommy Brady is like, listen, he's the goat. I mean, he is just, he is the, the best ever. There's a, there's an edge to MJ that I would love to just, uh, I'd love to try to figure out. Cause, cause if we could ever, if we could ever find a way to like, Hey, what'd your dad do? Or what, what'd your coach say? Like, when did this little mental monster chip in your brain flip over? Like, I just think it would be awesome discussion. Um, Bill Belichick. I know Bill extremely well, but, but I would want the world to sit in on that conversation. Bill needs Jesus. I love Bill. Um, Bill leads his team from a very biblical perspective. It's all about the team. So basically it's all about God. It's not about you. It's not about your individual wants. It's not about your stats. You are dying to self for the benefit of the team. He does it better than anybody else. Constantly sacrificing for everyone else, for Mr. Kraft, for the team, for the quarterback, for the punter, studying, working, preparing, giving away all his knowledge. 
for the betterment of the team. I want the world needs to hear that message um, from a biblical worldview. Um, there's two. Oh my gosh. Um, Martin Luther, like from the 1500s. I, from what we know, he's kind of like this little ornery, little wiry, probably physically frail guy. And when you read stories of like the Reformation and like, this guy was a bad dude. Like if you're in a dark alley and it's a spiritual war, you want him with you. Like this guy, he was just a monster, you know? Um, uh, there's three. Um, Matt, I'm not good at this stuff, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could always go like your favorite teammate or, you know, some guys that have had an impact on you. Yeah, I mean, listen, TB12 is the most humble superstar I've ever been around in my life, which is honestly sad because I've had a lot of Christian teammates, you know. Um, But um, um, he's such a joy to be around. And he always followed Bill's lead. Um, Tommy, I love him. And he, I would say this to his face. I have, he needs Jesus. You know, he's got, he's got everything this world has to offer. And yet there always needs to be another ring. There always needs to be another accomplishment. And we all know it's just never going to satisfy, but there's a disposition to Tom, the same disposition that kisses his dad and kisses his mom and kisses his kids. There's a real manliness to Tom that is willing in the biggest moments of games to to, to see a pass play that he knows he can complete, but there's a better run play to be called. So this humble, just best quarterback ever, take the ball out of my hands where I can throw it and get glory and get stats and possibly get a touchdown or no, what's best for the team. I'm going to change the play and hand the ball off to someone else. I've seen him do it in games and in life over and over and over and over again. Um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal teammate. Um, if you hate Tommy, I promise you, there's no reason to hate Tommy. He's just an incredible human being, you know, um, last teammate story. And then I'll try to think of one other that's not athlete, Randy Moss. I want to blow the world's minds. I hope everyone listens. Um, Randy is a mental monster. The boy is brilliant. He knows our game as well as anyone I've ever been around. He sees things. God has given him such an awesome mind to, to process information. I mean, when you're running four, three, four, four, 40, like he does, and you're processing information as fast as he does, just a brilliant, brilliant teammate. But he gets such a bad rap. Listen, everyone in the world knows that all our media is just idiots. Well, I, I'm not sure most, some people don't know that and they take them like they're, it's the, the word of God. And that's another story for another day. But the media screws people up. They lie to people. They lied about Randy Moss. Randy is one of the most fun loving, awesome guys you're ever going to be around. Is he somewhat of a wounded individual that's been hurt by people and so he can be a little standoffish? Sure. But that man um, was at one of my charity events in Palm Beach, Florida. We're at the Breakers Golf Course on the par, par, uh, whatever it was, par three, nine hole, because I hate to golf and I didn't want to have to golf for four hours, so I made it a short one. Um, The cart lady (laughs) comes around. It's dead of summer, all right? Cart lady's like 15 months pregnant. She should have had this baby eight months ago. I mean, she's like ready to pop, pop. Randy, being the good old country boy from West Virginia that he is, he's like, he's got a dip in his mouth. Girl, you can't be out here with this heat. I'm a daddy. I've got four kids. This is not good for the baby. So I don't know, sir. It's okay. My doctor says I have a few more weeks. No, no, no. I know you got to trust me. This ain't good for the baby. Making the lady kind of almost feel bad. Randy whips out a wad 
and I mean a wad of $100 bills and gave it to the girl and told her to go home. Now, listen, did the girl go home? No. Did the girl need the work? Yes. Could Randy sense that she needed to be working because she needed the paycheck probably to take care of that baby? Yes. Did Randy know this girl from Adam? No. What just came out of it? I was like, oh, I'm blessed. Let me bless this girl. And those are the stories that our screwed up media will never know about because they don't care. But those are the stories that you probably have teammates that have been looked down upon, hated by people for no reason. And if you got behind the closed walls of their life, you're like, man, this is just a good old dude. I, I, matter of fact, I'd like to have him over for dinner to be around my family. And so I've had a lot of those experiences with Randy. Um, is there anybody else that I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting? Um, I'm sure there are. Um, I don't know. You think of one and just fill it in the, fill in the blanks for me in that. <laughs> That's a good table. That's a good table. Yeah, it doesn't have. Yeah. Hey, no, no, no. Nolan Ryan. There you because go. <laughs> he put that dude. Who is it that he put in that headlock? It's, it's funny you say that. So the guy he put is Robin Ventura, who played at Oklahoma State, who is currently our student assistant. No. <laughs> I didn't mean it, Robert. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's, he's in 12 hours of school so that he can be our student assistant, even though he's managed in the major leagues, played in the major leagues. Like he's actually probably in the other room, which is amazing. So <laughs> he gets, hates me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, people, people ask him for, to autograph that picture. And so reluctantly, I think he does occasionally and occasionally tells people to hit the road. So yeah. tell uh, Robert to boast in his weakness. You know what I, mean? <laughs> yeah. I think he went out there half-heartedly. You can't go out there half-heartedly. You know, he just, you've got to fully commit to that. Fight. Hey, especially yeah. hey, Nolan was a big boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think he tells the story, like he had made the, the commitment that if he got hit again by Nolan, he was going to go out there. And it looked like he had given his word. So he went ahead and did it. And it looked like he didn't, his heart wasn't in it. So. Hey, my, my dad taught me young, listen, you don't fight unless you have to fight. And then if you're going to fight, Dogs fight, dogs bite. There are no rules. You better just fight to win real quick. My, my backup fullback uh, at Auburn went down to Panama City on spring break the year after I left. And apparently he was crossing the street, not in a crosswalk. And this guy slammed on the brakes. He almost hit him. Um, I won't mention the guy's name, but he like bangs on the front of the car. He goes, what are you doing? You almost hit me. The, the fullback was in the wrong. He was jaywalking a million miles, right? The, the, the guy in the car is like, I'm so sorry. I didn't see you. I'm so sorry. I didn't see you. All right. Guy's like, get out of the car. I'm going to whoop you. Blah, blah, blah. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So guy gets out of the car. My backup fullback takes a swing at him, dodges it. Pop, pop. Little 170-pound Navy boxer drops him in the yeah, street. Got to be careful who you're messing with. <laughs> drops him in the street of Panama City. So moral of the story is don't fight unless you got to. Yeah, and you never know who you're messing with nowadays with all these hey. UFC fighters and stuff. <laughs> That's why a lot of them are my friends. Yeah, there's <laughs> too many bad stories like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, he thank you so much. So, yeah, this thanks was for a lot on, of man. fun appreciate for it. us. For sure. Right, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Table 40 with Matt and Leslie Holiday, part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. For more stories on sports intersecting with faith, visit sportsspectrum.com.